0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam joined with Matt as always. And we have a lot to get into today. Uh, Steve Cohen press conference for the Mets. Uh, Mets have now won three in a row all of a sudden. Uh, looking like uh, somewhat of a formidable team now. Um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, the Knicks trade OB Toppin. We're going to jump right into that. Some NHL moves. Uh, the Nets make a couple nice signings on the offseason. And the Yankees uh, just win the first two games against the Orioles. Uh, first two of four games set. Domingo Herman perfect game. A um, Lot to get into. Uh, I'm gonna start how I always start. Matt, how you doing today?
1: Yeah, I'm all right.
0: So let's let's start with. Uh, glad you're all right as always. Um, let's start with. Let's get into basketball first because I think the most you know on the basketball forefront. Yeah, you got a lot of guys signing. Uh, you know. We already spoke about the Porzingis deal and the Marcus Smart deal and Bradley Beal on our last episode. So we'll start with, uh, I guess, the biggest local news, uh, the Knicks trade, Obi Toppin. And uh, to what many may see as a uh, like an abrupt failure of a pick by the Knicks, I, I get it. You can take it that way. Um, and, you know, they get kind of, you know, two second round picks, which in the NBA is, you know, very... Very much like nothing, Uh, I'd say. You know, sometimes you get lucky and get maybe like you know the thirty-second pick or like the the, even like the fortieth pick could technically be good. Um, He goes to the Pacers, um, and Matt, we spoke about kind of last time, uh, kind of the whole Ob situation as a whole. But what do you feel about you know now that it's? I guess it's now it's kind of set in stone and done for. I don't, I don't know what give me some of your overall thoughts about, you know, just Ob as a player and I guess his uh his tenure as a Nick and I don't know what do you see for him? I don't want you to get too deep of pacer talk, but what do you see uh you know, how, what do you see Obi projecting as as a in in that role over there?
1: Yeah, well, we both said that we were we were fans of Obi Toppin and and, and I don't know. I don't really want to call it um a failure of a pick by the Knicks cuz I thought he was growing into a nice player. Now, like, does this move and, you know, obviously the Knicks will deny, deny, deny it. Like, is there more behind the scenes stuff than we know about? Like we talked about that clip, um, you know, so on and so forth. Is is that more so what this is about here to you? Do you think?
0: Yeah, well, uh, it it was, it's interesting because, you know, there, there's even throughout the whole season, you know, prior to that clip, uh, even again after that clip, it it was kind of like uh, always in the background of like, all right, you know. Where where does he really fit again with like the Julius Randle signing and obviously Julius Randall's, a, you know, you, you can have your own thoughts about Julius Randle, but he's a great player. And, uh, you know, so to be buried behind him, obviously, you know, like like we kind of said, the it, it's he was essentially losing self money by, you know, staying in the role that he was in. So, you know, you every player is going to reach a point where you kind of have to make that tough decision of, you know, maybe, you know, arguing with the head coach is not the right way to go about it. I guess he could spin it that way against Obi Toppin, but, you know, uh guy f- found his way out, uh, was kind of, you know, you never, you didn't see him like tweet anything ridiculous. Uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like no. a very public thing, you know, even, even the argument that everyone kind of spoke about and was reported was really behind closed doors. So, you know, you can't really hold Obi, you can't hold that over Obi's head that that got out. You know, it's not like uh, that wasn't him that, that did that. So, um, you know, I wish him the best. I thought, you know, I thought the, the Knicks fans really, uh, really liked him as a player. I thought, you know, just, you know, being in the slam dunk contest, being this high flying athlete, I just thought it was, he was a, he, I thought he fit well into the roster, but again, it's a business. I, it's kind of cliche at this point, but definitely is a business. And, uh, you know, it's just a tough business decision on the Knicks half and I guess Obi's half as well. Um,
1: did you see a lot of uh, Ob jerseys at the Garden? I know you make a you make a couple stops a year. Did it, like how many Toppen jerseys would you say so, that you see?
0: Um, I'd say you know the year he was drafted, I'd say I, saw, I you know I started to see like you know few and far between, but you could always just tell like he was one of those players that just like people liked. You know every time he did something good, yeah, uh, and you could also say a lot. I you know a lot of Nick fans, you know, don't uh, aren't aren't the biggest fans of, uh, you know. Julius Randle, uh, these past couple of years, I mean, he's been good, but, you know, a lot of Knicks fans kind of share the same sentiment that he kind of, uh, you know, has floundered in the big moments, we can say, and, uh, you know, so for that reason, I guess the natural progression of, you know, just rooting for the, I guess, successor, when the successor does something good, or what was thought to be the successor in Obi Toppin, uh, is just natural, so I feel like it was a kind of a combination, but... I was, you know, I, I thought Obi was a good player. I, obviously, I think he still is a good player. I, I like the fit in Indiana with Tyrese Halliburton, who the Knicks passed up on for Obi Toppin, which is,
1: you know, very Knicks Knicks like. But um, I digress. And um, well, maybe his his, his brother should uh, slap the same jersey number on to uh, to help us help out some Knicks fans. That was, but do, do you point. ever worry <laughs> about you, you know getting rid of a guy like an Obi Toppin? Because, like we said, you know, what it really comes down to is. For the Knicks right now, you know, he's more valuable off the bench, which clearly, you know, didn't float his boat. So do you worry about dealing, uh, you know, a developing player like Obi for, you know, an aging Julius Randle that sometimes throughout the season we find ourselves saying like, you know, all right, this team can't move forward with Julius Randle any longer because, you know, sometimes he's that point of frustrating. Um, So do you fear not only burying these guys behind Randle, but now to even part ways with one uh, which is something totally different because we don't know how much longer Julius is going to be here.
0: Um. Well, I think, you know, just naturally because of his age, uh, Julius Reynolds age, he's, you kind of have to factor him into at least the, you know, the, the future in the next, I guess, you know, four to five years or so, um, you know, that obviously he's this team I think eventually will run around Jalen Brunson and should run around Jalen Brunson. Um, but, I think that you know to to say he's you know buried behind Julius Randle is is it's true, but you know Julius Randle also made you know he was like second team All NBA I think two seasons ago. He consistently puts up you know amazing numbers and uh, again falters in the big moments. But you know even when when Julius Randle is quote unquote faltering, he's still majority of the time putting up better numbers than Obi Toppin was in you know, per 36 and stuff like that. So I don't think it's, you know, I th- always thought it was kind of, I guess what I'm getting at is I thought it was unfair that they were always like almost like somewhat compared to one another where it's like there was a uh, contingent of Nick fans that would say like, oh, well, if you gave Obi you know, the, the minutes of Julius Randle, he might do better. I never saw it like that. I just think Julius Randle's like head and shoulders always was the better player. And I just thought that OB kind of just didn't fit. Uh, and, you know, you could, bl- whoever you want to blame that on, whether that be, uh, you know, whoever the powers that be that draft or Tom Thibodeau and the you know the minutes usage and whatnot rotation wise, that's up for debate. But um, they the Knicks fill this Obi Toppin role with another Villanova boy, uh, drafted number seventeen overall in I believe the twenty eighteen draft, which was uh, Luca and um, who was two in that draft, Luca, uh, not Shai Gills Alexander, but Trey Young. Uh, you know, Deandre Ayton was one. Luca was three with the Trey Young uh, trade. Uh, so very town packed draft. And Dante Vincenzo was great. He played for the Warriors. Um, and again, we kind of we kind of said that. Uh, you know, we we were speaking before the show, and you know, another Villanova boy. Get him in there with the with Josh Hart. Get him in there with Jalen Brunson, and you know, maybe they have some some electricity between them, like we saw between Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart. And I think you know, just naturally, he just the way the game is Dante DiVincenzo is a, he's a shooter can handle the ball can make a couple plays here and there uh, with the ball in his hands um, and I think he's I think it's a great signing and I you know I, I'm not saying I think Dante DiVincenzo is like better than Obi Toppin right now I'm not saying Obi Toppin can't reach that level but if the Knicks this tells me that the Knicks really think that they have a from formid, really formidable team with with the Brunson Hart R.J. DiVincenzo, Randall, Mitchell Robinson. They are gonna I, I think the Knicks really believe in themselves. And I think that a signing like this is uh is kind of showing you that, you know, you can't ever have too many shooters and he's, you know, probably gonna gonna pair with Josh Hart minute wise most of the time. They play very kind of similar similar roles on a team. Um again, Josh Hart's still hanging in the balance. I don't think they've come to an agreement on a deal just yet, but uh I think all signs are pointing that, you know. They're gonna they're gonna reach a deal one of these days. Um, but I like it. I, I really like the signing. I think of anything. The Knicks kind of struggled last year with a little bit of perimeter shooting at points. Um, and I did see today that uh, some. I don't want to quote say who this was or you know quote it uh, if I get it wrong or anything. But I did see that a lot of executives around the league say quote unquote that the Knicks have are trying to pull off another quote unquote big move. Um, they were in on Paul George, uh, and apparently those talks fell through because, not not necessarily because of the price asset-wise, but uh, I think that Paul George was going to want an extension upon tra- getting traded, and I don't know if the Knicks were going to be down for that. So, definitely something to keep in mind when you're looking at some targets for the Knicks, but um, Paul George obviously would have been great. Uh, they signed DiVincenzo, obviously not Paul George, but, you know, very similar kind of position. Um but I, you know, as far as like other big moves to make, uh, maybe they can go the route of like the Raptors and the Pascal Siakam, something like that. Uh, they've spoken to them in the past about you know some of their guys over there. Uh, you know, just just throwing out a random name on the top of my head, but um, we'll get the the again we always say this, but the NBA is always due for you know one or two big you know unforeseen signings and uh, and trades, you know, any given day almost so. Yeah. To be seen, but, um,
1: and, and DiVincenzo, I mean, being like you said, the Knicks needed shooting. And I think this is a guy who, uh, off the catch and shoot, he's almost shooting 50% ish. And to sort of have that, um, relationship with Brunson. I mean, it's, it's not a movie you, you, you can dislike. I think, uh, I think so far the Knicks got a little bit better. That's, that's really all you could ask for.
0: Yeah, I, I, strongly agree. So, uh, good move there. Um, as for the Nets, uh, a couple good signings over there as well. Just going to quickly run through that. They signed Cam Thomas to a four-year extension, which is big. He was a big piece that they they added last year. Uh, they signed Lonnie Walker, who I actually believe was picked right after. Um, I think the pick either right after or right before Dante DiVincenzo. Um, so that was a good signing for them there. He used to play for the Lakers and made a couple plays over there. Uh, and then uh, Nick Legend, Dennis Smith Jr., going to the, to the Nets. Uh, a lot of people like that move. Um, gonna play, I guess, a, a, a bench point guard role there. He's an electric player. Again, another one that uh again saw his time with the Knicks. We've seen him up close. Uh I think the Nets are kind of gonna stick to you know run out a very similar team that they ran out last year, which was a not a bad team. Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, uh, you know, they they Nick Claxton the emerged kind of late last year. That was a good uh good move by them. And you know, a lot of people think that they the Nets could possibly be in on a huge Dame Lillard trade. So again, well, to be seen. But uh, let's let's get off the the NBA because Matt, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about some some hockey moves that were, were made in uh, the past couple weeks or so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, the biggest one so far is uh, the Devils locking up Timo Meyer, who they brought in uh, halfway through last season uh, to the tune of eight years, seventy million dollars. Um, he he was a, a lightning rod for them, so good on the Devils for locking him up. Uh, On the Rangers' side, they bring in uh, an aging, but still a good player, 36-year-old defenseman in Blake Wheeler. Um, I believe Blake Wheeler spent his last maybe 12 years of his career over in uh, Winnipeg. This is a guy who doesn't miss a lot of hockey games. He's sort of an iron man. You may actually remember him. This is the player who ruptured his testicle uh, down the stretch of last season. Uh, and on top of that, a player that I know that you definitely know, uh, Jonathan Quick, who actually served as the backup in Vegas last season and uh, got a ring out of it. So now Shesterkin, I mean, he's gotten to play with Henrik Lundqvist and now Jonathan Quick, which is nice. Um, they bring in defenseman Eric Gustafsson. Um, And then, you know, there's others, Tyler uh, Tyler Pitlick, uh, Riley Nash. So the Rangers are kind of doubling down on that, uh, uh, on this, you know, this is our window. We're trying to win now. And, uh, you know, these are all veterans. They're very experienced. But, I mean, you want to look back at last season and talk about that Devil series, and it kind of looked like fast versus slow. So, uh, you know, the Rangers probably think they should have won that series. But I guess guess from here, your only option is, hey, we, we have a window of maybe two more years. Let's try and go grab it.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, uh, again, I, I guess as an overall Rangers question, you kind of hinted at it there. But do you think that, you know, these moves are a lot of teams will will do things in like response to, you know, losing a series where they, you know, they, they have like a glaring weakness. You, you would say that these moves are kind of lending towards what was weak for the Rangers in the playoffs there.
1: Uh, I mean, maybe in a way. Listen, I, I don't want to make the Rangers sound like they're my dad's softball team. You know, I think the core that they rely on the most of Panarin, uh, Zibanejad, and Kreider, um, they're still great players. And it's not like the Rangers don't have some cats that are going to be around for a while, too. And Lafreniere, Kako, Hedel, uh Keandre Miller... Brandon Schneider. So, I mean, this is just the Rangers retooling, and I think there's going to be a lot of fun because there's a good chance that New Jersey, once again, is going to be the team that you have to beat because, they, I mean, they're probably the favorites in the division at this point. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not down on what Drury's doing, but let's, let's see it pay off a little bit, you know, because uh, getting bounced in the first round, that wasn't it, and it was not encouraging.
0: Yeah, that, that was, a, from what I remember, and again, that was probably the most hockey I watched all year, that was a competitive series. You know, that was, uh, they looked like they matched. It was the young, definitely like the younger versus the, the elder. But uh, if you're going to double down on that, I mean, going to relate it to circle it back to basketball. Last time we spoke, I I said the Warriors found themselves in a similar situation. Obviously, Warriors much more winning of, you know, championship wise in the last, you know, five years or so than the Rangers. But the, they found themselves in the off season with a decision of, we can move on from the older pieces, or we can add on with or some more older pieces, and it looks like the Rangers are kind of kind of doing that there. But um, another team that I think has a very similar conundrum on their hands that we're going to jump right into, hopping right over to the MLB, uh, the New York Mets. Um, obviously, we've been on here time and time again about uh, you know talking about the Mets' struggles. Uh, it seems like it has reached the the tippy top of the organization. Steve Cohen, uh, giving a press conference last week, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of nothing burgers in there, but I think the, I guess where we can start here is I thought for the first time in, I think Steve Cohen's tenure, he kind of hinted at the fact that, you know, you know, not exactly these words, but, uh, you know, he said something to the extent of like, yeah, you know, if if it deems if if our performance deems it, we can always, you know, add to I'd like to add to the, you know, the uh, minor league depth and add, bring in some prospects here. Now, the avenue to that is up for debate. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But Matt, was there anything else you saw that like or, or listened to Steve Cohen say that kind of stuck out to you or was it just a bunch of a bunch of kind of GM speak to you?
1: Well, it, it was GM speak of Jace. I, I think the thing is, uh, I certainly appreciate it. You know, a, a State of the Union like that, kind of like, you know, what the Rangers did a few years ago. That's that's not something that we would have ever seen from the Wilpons. I mean, how you and me watch the Knicks. Uh, I mean, there there's years that'll go by. We won't hear a peep from uh, Leon Rose, of course, James Dolan or anything like that. So I, I think what I took from it was the same thing that you said you took from it was he's talking about adding. and. That really is the whole discussion here. It's what are the Mets going to do in the next coming weeks? I mean, a couple days ago, they uh, they paid off the salary of our old friend Chris Flexen to bring in, you know, a relief pitcher with a 4 ERA and Trevor Gott. And if that doesn't reek of desperation, I don't know what does. And the Mets are desperate. They are. If they think that they still have something here this season. And I think there's there's kinda of two layers to this. I think that the Mets, I think Steve Cohen is petrified of going from one hundred wins to a team that now sells. And listen, that's not something I wanna see either, but the only thing I wanna see less than that is Billy Upler, knowing that he's you know, got one foot out the door, start to get reckless here. Now, you're, you're obviously an advocate, and, and I sort of am, too, that the Mets should, quote-unquote, sell here. Yes? Yeah. Now, the only reason I'm not fully on board with you is because what I think is going to happen here is this is going to be you know a reconstruction or, or a retooling more so than a fire sale, right? Because let's talk about what the Mets even have to sell, because it's not much, right? We said, you know, if you could deal one of these two pitchers in Verlander or Scherzer, then that would be great. Because I think the Mets see the writing on the wall with those two guys. And if money's truly not an object, then they can throw money at problems. I think, you know, and this is just an example of how a a team like the Mets would retool here rather than, you know, blow it up. I think you try to part with one of those pitchers. um, You help out a team who, who really can win it this year, unlike yourselves. And, you know, next year you go, you know what, that didn't work, giving out you know, these short-term deals, but also the highest annual uh, average contracts of all time. And maybe next year you go, all right, well, we have to go, let's say the Carlos Rodon route or something like that. And I think the good thing about those short-term deals is it really does give the Mets an avenue to actually rebound here in the coming seasons. But, you know, when it comes to this black and white buy and sell, I I don't know, I don't don't really want to use those terms with the Mets because, you know, in no world should they be making deals to bring in, you know, rentals for the rest of the season to try and make something happen this year. In no world should that be happening. But, you know, also at the the same time, there's no world in which they shouldn't pick up the phone and see what they could do about some of these guys, like a Verlander or a Scherzer, maybe a Marte, or guys of that elk. So if we're going to call it a sell, it's a soft sell. This is a reconstruction.
0: Yeah, so it's it's interesting because... I think, you know, I think you're right and again we're in, we're kind of in agreement that they need to sell, but I think that the, you know, you got to kind of look at you don't just sell to sell. You're right. Like you don't just sell to say, "All right, we're not good, we're just going to start selling pieces" because, you know, there there's guys that are maybe reconstructing is exactly the right word, but the like, uh, do you really want to move a Scherzer? Like, what does that tell your organization? There's like kind of, there's kind of more like levels to it than just like the player itself. Like you're going to give up on a guy after you just like re-signed him. Like, would you really move a Justin Verlander if you got the right offer after, you know, this big hoo-ha of having the two biggest, you know, pitchers in the league and just kind of blowing up in your face? Like, do you think, is that even like swallowable for Steve Cohen? Like, that's that's like a that's an abrupt failure. I mean, we spoke about OB being a failure of a pick, that's a that's a that would be a misery if that if that was what resulted in, uh, you know, the Steve Cohen's, I guess, first big splashes, we can say. Um, but on the same token, I think I, I'm a big believer in, you know, you you got to ha- the phone's got to be on and you got to you, you have to, you know, listen to the offers because. You never know who's going to over offer, who's going to, who's going to over, you know, who's going to give you a, 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 an offer that for Scherzer that you're going to say, look, Max, unfortunately, it's just not working out this year. If you, we have enough respect for you that we're going to make you, you know, give you a good shot to win here. You know, maybe it was to the Astros or a team like, you know, up and coming team like the Orioles or something like that. But um, there's definitely a lot of prospects to be had. Um, But like, I'll simplify it for our listeners. And I guess are just the sake of our conversation. But the kind of deal you're probably getting for a a Scherzer or Verlander is like a really bad contract, like a Josh Donaldson, and then like maybe like one or two like you know B level prospects. You know what are people really going to pay for a a a pitcher on the the wrong side of of I guess the age range? You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, I mean that is the whole thing here. It's what do they have to sell? Um, to your point of the message that it sends to the clubhouse. I mean, I, I think their play uh, sent sent its own message. I'm not too worried about that, but yeah, I mean, if you really want to delve into it, the only names that I could really think of that are viable uh, sell candidates are the two pitchers, and then you have Starling Marte. I mean, who else? I mean, are you really going to get a return for a you know a Mark Canna? No. So I think there's really about three players. Well, I think Marte could
0: could definitely bring in some value to a couple teams. Uh, I mean you could you could go the route of i know i've heard some Mets fans say you know jeff mcneil's not exactly like the youngest player in the world he's he's i believe he's what, 31 or so 30 31 he's not you know he's not like 26 he's not like you know a long, young guy like alonzo i mean you can kind of go from the top down here where you can kind of see you kind of look at like all right who who aren't we moving you're not going to move lindor i'd find it almost impossible to believe you'd move alonzo um i doubt you move nemo you just signed him uh, I mean, guys, you're now you're t- you're at the guys like the Canas and again the Martes, David Robertson. You, could you could you just blow up the bullpen and get some good value back for for David Robertson? That's very possible. Does anyone want even want Aravino? Uh, I mean, I don't even know if the Mets want Aravino. Uh, and then you know you got your guys that you know, like the Cantanas of the world that haven't even pitched this year, but you know, maybe if you're just going to, if you're just going to blow it up anyway, and you're looking to just to kind of just recoup something for it, then you might as well just get rid of anyone that it can kind of, you know, it's either on an expiring deal or, or something to that extent. But yeah, there's really not much to sell. That's the thing. Like you, when you're, when you're selling, when you think of a team selling, you're not, the Mets aren't like the position of selling. They're in the position of buying really, but like, they, but like, their play has lended them to be in the position of selling, not their roster. The roster is a is a buyable roster, not a sellable roster. If that that makes sense. But uh,
1: well, yeah, you're right because of everything that we just outlined. You know, situationally for the Mets, um, you know, there's very little wiggle room in terms of selling. Now let's look at what it would take to buy. Let's say the Mets have to finish around you know 86 wins to uh, to get into the postseason here. We're looking at them essentially. Even if you want, you know, if you want to take the wins from the last couple of days, you're looking at them finishing the season 50 up, 30 down. Just 50 wins, 30 losses. They've never shown me that they that they were capable of doing such. But uh, who knows? Yeah. Maybe maybe the the June swoon is over, and um, we see a completely different second half Mets. But you know, in terms of selling. I just think they're they're handcuffed, and I wouldn't expect to see yeah. much. Uh, well,
0: I think I think you're right. It's it's very limited to what what they can do. They're not gonna obviously they're not gonna move their prospects for anything. I don't think I don't know. You know, you know, retooling next year could maybe Steve Cohen learns from the mistake of just trying to spend all the money in the world, and next year says, "All right, we need to kind of you know let's not spend all the money in the world, but let's spend like smarter and use utilize these." you know, next year, you'll bring back a Beatty for a second year. You'll bring back an Alvarez for a second year, which could be your, you know, your starting catcher for, you know, majority of the season next he, year. He's been
1: so good. Yeah. He, he and Beatty, I really, you couldn't ask yeah. for more.
0: I, and, you know, those are two pieces that, going into this off, last, I guess, this past offseason, you were, the Mets were, their holes were, you don't have a third baseman, and you don't have a, you don't have a catcher. And now, you kind of have some answers there. So, maybe, you know, you, 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 you like, uh, you filter out, you know, some of your needs there, and now you can kind of focus more so on, you know, you definitely need, I think, a, uh, definitely a, some, some bullpen help for sure. Uh, probably a couple bullpen arms there, but those, the Yankees show that those are kind of, I don't want to say easy to come by, but there's a lot of them. There's a lot of good bullpen weapons. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's gonna be curious to see. I, I saw. I sent in our chat today a uh, report that I saw. Um, let me, let me pull it up real quick. So, um, Michael Mariano, Marino, excuse me, um, for uh, MLB for Fan Tracks. I think he actually used to work for like Fox or something too. But I, he's a very reputable source. I, he's, he's broken some news in the past that I've. I've uh, I've seen before. And he said, uh, as teams begin to do their due diligence into which players will become available at the trade deadline, both Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer's name have come up across the league. It remains to be seen if the Mets are willing to move either and what other clubs would be willing to give up. So, you know, that tells me they're they're probably fielding calls They're They're probably, you know, hey. Hey, Astros GM, you know, hey, uh, so-and-so, what, you have any interest in, in Scherzer? You know, maybe not dangling him like that, but if they're fielding calls, they're probably not hanging up the phone.
1: Well, yeah, they've they've kind of played their way into uh, being dealable pieces now. I, I mean, a, a couple weeks ago, um, you know, when neither of them can miss a bat to save their lives, it, you know, it was like, well, who would pay for this? Who wants this? Uh, whereas now, I mean, would you be shocked to see a team like Houston, you know, say, let's bring jv back let's try and win this thing again i wouldn't be so i think the the highest form of a sell or the most that the Mets would sell would be if they could actually get rid of one of the pitchers and they could deal david robertson and say starling marte but you know what i who knows maybe in a couple weeks they've they've played themselves into a position where it's like all right let's engage in some you know low risk buying i have no idea
0: they've won three in a row now they're they're they played well against the Diamondbacks. Uh, you know, obviously, could June just have been the, the month from hell? Sure. Are we going to look back at the season and say that? Well, we do every year. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. But, like, that's that's like you can lose a division in a month. You can't win it. I'm a big believer in that. So, the Mets might have just done that. So, and maybe that division might have been out of reach. But we'll just say a playoff spot even. Um, but, again, big games against a good team here. And you know, I think the Diamondbacks are one of the first teams to 50 wins uh they're they're a good team uh definitely a young up and coming team yeah and and they're uh, to me i think they're a very uh real sh- i would almost guess that they're probably one of the ones on the phone with the Mets saying you know what's the price here on Scherzer or Verlander cuz they're a team that is is above expectations they have great starting pitching they have you know all the talent on the field and you know you bring in a, a seasoned veteran like Scherzer to a young and up and coming team like that and that to me, that screams, you know, Braves <laughs> to me, you know, from a la, you know, four years ago or you know something like that. So, to be seen there. Um. So
1: yeah, and and speaking of the Diamondbacks, if you're a Met fan who's just out, just done. You, you can't fathom to watch them anymore. There's always a reason to put a baseball game on. I mean, watch the game tonight and watch this kid, Corbin Carroll. I mean, especially if you're on the side of, uh, why I miss old-timey baseball. Uh, this, is a, this is a bat-to-ball kid, and he's he's electric. He's a lot of fun to watch. So I would tune in just for that.
0: Yeah, very good. I like him a lot. I'm a big fan. Yeah, and I, I like the Diamondbacks overall. Um, I, I, I just think they're a fun team uh they have a they have a again a great pitching staff um and you know they they're they're outperforming and it's it's fun to see young, you know young teams outperform uh themselves it's definitely uh definitely something that you don't really see too often um we uh so just kind of going to close the book here on the Mets um tough schedule coming up uh they they have two more games against the Diamondbacks in Arizona uh they'll then they go to San Diego and play the Padres who Beginning of the season, we're underperforming. Now I think they're kind of coming into form a little bit. Uh, they're um, they're going to start scratching the surface of reaching 500 balls soon enough. They play three games there, then they come back home, and the Mets play three against the Dodgers, and then you reach a little bit of a soft spot there with the White Sox and the and the Red Sox towards the end of July, and then you're going to end the end July with the Yankees, and then a four game set against the Nationals. So. Uh, kind of an up and down schedule. This is definitely a, a tough part of the Mets' schedule. Um, they they win a couple good games against the Giants, though. Win a couple good games against the Giants. Beat the Diamondbacks in the first game of the series. You know, you start winning two of every three, and you can find yourself in a good spot, especially down the stretch. So I,
1: I just don't want the front office to be um, to be brainwashed by the you know recent success.
0: Yeah, you don't want to make you don't want to make that mistake and then bury yourself for you know the next three or so years. But again
1: speaking of mistakes, um, this actually I started thinking about this because of the text that you sent yesterday. Yeah. Could you and and what you sent just for everyone was a uh, it was just one of those slash lines, player A versus player B. Um, and player A was Carlos Correa, who very well could have been a met. You could even argue should have been a met. and player B was Anthony Volpe. Could you imagine? if in the midst of all of this Mets chaos garbage that Carlos Correa's salary was just right in the mix of it <laughs> yeah
0: well that's that that's a great point because he is uh do you have those numbers in front of you or Do you, you just quote in the uh, I'll get him. it's okay. not a big deal we don't have to we don't have to go through the uh, yeah so I you know just in just out of curiosity I, I was looking at some of volpe's numbers on the screen you know when he comes up to bat and I knew he was hot he's hitting like you know 400 plus in the month of uh in the last like two weeks or so uh 407 to be exact with a 1 dot ops in the last seven
1: days uh, I think you get well I, I asked you uh what exactly is the adjustment um that we're seeing these results with volpe now after he made an adjustment at the plate could you just kind of reiterate what that was exactly yeah
0: well I mean the they say and you know I don't have the exact numbers on this either but he you know, just thinking from a pure baseball standpoint, he closed off his stance, Uh, you know, put his front foot a little bit closer to the plate. And now he's where he whereas he was getting beat on the outside pitch. Uh, now he's hitting the outside pitch and hitting it for power. And, you know, I think it's he. he's he's still striking out a little bit too much for my liking. Personally, you know, I like to see he's a guy with obvious speed that, you know, you'd like to see him, you know, put the ball in play and, you know, put some pressure on the defense. Um, But again, he's. You know, you're Let me know when you have the stat line up, but he's 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 outperforming Carlos Correa as of right now.
1: Uh, yeah, as of last night, we had a uh, Correa slashing 218, 11 home runs, 37 ribbies with a 695 OPS and no stolen bases. And then you have Anthony Volpe with a 221 average, 11 home runs as well, 29 ribbies, 682 OPS, yep. and really the difference maker, the 16 stolen bases. Yep, And really, the, another huge difference uh, for Volpe is, I mean, he's playing a much better shortstop. De-
0: definitely, I was going to say, that was my next point about Volpe, too. It definitely is playing a much better shortstop. And you almost like, I'm a big, I, I am so sold on the fact that, you know, all of baseball is intertwined. You know, there's nothing is you can say, you know, well, what is, what does Anthony Volpe have, you know, on the, the effect of like the closing pitcher for the Yankees? And, you know, I think it's a big, I think it's all intertwined in the fact that, you know, Volpe starts hitting, then his confidence goes up in the field. He brings that out to the field, just like when you're slumping, you can bring that out into the field. And, you know, that, that naturally will just affect a pitcher, especially when, you know, you're a closer, you have a lot of guys who are ground ball pitchers, like a Clay Holmes that, you know, he's not going to worry when when he gets a ground ball to shortstop anymore. He's going to know that all right, I get I can throw my sinker, he can hit it to short and I don't even have to turn around and worry that he's going to fumble this ball. And I think it's it's a big it's everything is intertwined. I'm a big believer in that. Um one thing before we start getting into some more deep Yankee talk. I don't know if you just saw this. This broke as we might have started the uh, started the pod here. Jimmy Cordero suspended for the rest of the season. Uh under MLB's domestic violence policy, crazy. Uh, you know, obviously, n- no, sub- not going to support that. I, it was pretty quick that the Yankees... maybe he'll
1: uh, maybe he'll come back and hit for the cycle.
0: Yeah. Well, if he comes back and hits for the cycle, he's totally revamped his entire career. Considering he's a relief pitcher. Oh, uh, I had the wrong player. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, we've seen Domingo Herman just throw a perfect game. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, that's uh, going to be interesting to see what they do there. Maybe that opens the door for. I mean, I don't even know. They're gonna have to call up a relief pitcher or another arm of some sort. Maybe they can. Maybe that means they can call up someone with some length in the bullpen, like an Albert Abreu. I mean, uh, sorry, not an Albert Abreu. Um, Randy Vasquez, who's pitched, you know, a couple spot starts here or there, and maybe he can provide some, you know, a little bit of like a rest day or so for the bullpen. Maybe they can, you know, suspend him, and the corresponding move is just naturally Rodon, and then they can move. Uh, you know, not Clark Schmidt. He's been pitching very well, but move someone from the starting rotation into the bullpen. Maybe Luis Severino finds himself in the bullpen for a little bit. He's been kind of rough of late. Uh, just to kind of get him right. Maybe go with a six-man rotation. Uh, again, this just broke as we kind of came onto the to record. But
1: for the record, for everyone, I obviously thought he was talking about yeah. Franchi Cordero. Is he even still on the roster?
0: I. He's not definitely not on the, the, uh, you know, the 26 man roster or the 25 man roster, but I don't know if he, if he accepted like a, a, an assignment in minor league or I don't know where he's at, but I don't know if he, how much he's going to really factor uh, into the the Yankees plans. But um, let's, let's stick with the Yankees here. They, they're playing, you know, somewhat up and down ball. It's uh it's, it's kind of, you know, they win, they win two great games against a good team in the Orioles, but then they lose and, you know, they lose two or three to the Cardinals. Uh, kind of like a weird double header that first day they get smoked in game 1 11 to 4 uh they win game 2 with Cole in the mound you know they the Yankees are so weird with the, these double headers and the way they think about things uh, well didn't
1: um no Cole lost right because that was the Montgomery Cole game in St. Louis
0: no Sevy lost Sevy uh Sevy pitched against Jack Flaherty who is a is a target of mine um and then the next day oh I'm sorry you you're right Cole did lose but the Yankees won bullpen game. All right, yeah, you're right. Cole was slotted to start the second game, and then because they made it into a doubleheader, they pushed Cole back a day, and they they left uh, they let that second game be a bullpen day, opposed to letting Cole do that. And they won, shocking the Yankees' best bullpen in baseball, you only give up two runs the entire game, stunner. Um, and then you know I didn't think Cole didn't pitch bad at all. That was just the Yankees. I just thought played you know some. Uh, that was just not a good game the Yankees played. Cole goes six. Six hits, two earned, five strikeouts. Obviously, not you know Cole's A plus stuff, but uh yeah, Montgomery went six and six and two thirds, two hits, six strikeouts, no runs. Kind of kind of shoved it in the Yankees' face right there. Uh, but look, you know it's the Cardinals. Uh, obviously, it was again weird doubleheader, 120 degrees all three of those days. They kind of uh, you know they kind
1: of punted game one.
0: Yeah, ex- exactly. That was a, they they as soon as Severy was bad in the first you know two three innings. They the the series was written right there. Uh, they come out with one there, and then these last two games against the Orioles have been great. They've been playing very well. Volpe's giving you a reason to watch Volpe and Bader, man. I'm telling you, these guys are fun, fun players. Especially Bader. Bader is in the last week. Bader's got a uh, got, got a one two. Uh, sorry, a 1.0 OPS in the last week. Uh, he's got a ho- huge home run yesterday, and again, you know. The, we, we say this about some players, you know, when they're slumping and, you know, they, you know, what do they have to offer? If, even if Bader wasn't, even if Bader was, had half of that OPS and had a, you know, a 500 OPS, he's still giving you gold glove defense in center field. I think he's, if, if not the best, he's in the conversation of the, one of the best defensive center fielders in the entire league. Um, he's great. And I think, you know, it, it's, we, we make a lot about, uh, a lot out about judge being out and his effect, his residual effect on the team. But I think the same can be said about Bader. You know, he every time he's in the lineup, he they the outfield is just more solidified. You got a you got a rock in center field there, which obviously again, nothing mutually exclusive, helps the pitchers. You mean, there's a huge difference between IKF being in center field and Harrison Bader being in center field. You don't have to watch every Yankee game to realize that. Uh, but again, Volpe hot hitting 400 in the last 7 games. Uh IKF hitting 417. Uh Higgy with a couple Couple, a uh, huge home run, couple big RBIs. He's in 316, some limited at bats, uh, and even Stanton in his last 20 at bats, he's hitting 333. So seven for his last 21, uh, pretty good. Not you know that's what you want to see out of Stanton. So maybe they're they're rounding themselves into form. Maybe the 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 hangover of the anti or the the non judge Yankees is kind of over them at this point. Um, but. Look, win one more game against the Orioles, you've already got a split, right? I wouldn't be, and I don't want to, I don't want to sway anyone's betting here, but I, you know, tonight they they go Randy Vasquez against the Orioles, and the way the Yankees think about things is, all right, we already have two under our belt. Let's throw this kid out there, see what he can give us, and then we'll we'll go our a lineup for the fourth game of the series to try and win the series. So, wouldn't be stunned if the Yankees fall tonight. Uh, just just the way they think about things. But let me read you their schedule after this. It's It gets quite, quite soft, I must say. They get three against the Cubs at home, who Cubs uh, underperforming, kind of be playing a little bit better of late, but still uh, much lesser than the Yankees. Then they go to Colorado, play the Rockies. Then they play three games against the Angels uh, after the – this is all after the All-Star break. Three games against the Angels, and Mike Trout just got hurt yesterday, uh, and, you know, don't know what that situation is going to be like. There, There's a real world where they play the Angels without Mike Trout, which, again, Angels playing well, but no Mike Trout obviously is going to be a huge hit there. Then they play three against the Royals, and then the end of this month, where, again, near the trade deadline, where if the Mets do truly sell, you could, you have two home games against the Mets, where, you know, if the Mets truly do sell off some pieces, you could look like a totally different team than they are right now. Um, So Yankee schedule gets pretty soft. Uh, in the middle of this month, uh, they end with a series starting against the Rays, but I think they're I think they're playing well. I think uh, you know, for what they have, they're they're, you know, they they don't get enough credit. And again, it's I don't want to be like you know a, a big boon guy, but like you know, y- name me another manager that can lose an MVP candidate and their team is is constantly in the hunt. You know, every game the Yankees can win. There's never been a game where I feel like. The Yankees are; these have no chance to win this game. They they constantly put out guys that are making the right plays. Jake Bowers of the world. uh, Billy McKinney was a fun story in June. He's flamed out a little bit, Uh, but you know, other than other than the struggles of Josh Donaldson and and Stan coming back, people have been been playing well. Glaber's got some couple base base running blunders, maybe you say cause him one game or so. Uh, But again, he gets a hit almost every day. That kind of cancels that out. Uh, DJ LeMay, who's struggling. But even amidst all these big struggles and this big money struggling, the Yankees are just fine ways to win games. It seems like they they kind of go 2-1 and almost every series. It's like they they don't need a sweep.
1: Well, yeah, but we we do have to talk about the Aaron Judge of it all after uh, some comments made the other day because, you know, I'm I'm down to pat the Yankees on the back with you. I do sort of give them uh, some credit for keeping their head above water here. But uh, at the same token— I've never seen in baseball before, I say this all the time, where a team's success is really so driven by one player. You know, right now the Yankees are a fringe postseason team without him, and, uh, you know, with him, they're a giant. So what the comments I'm alluding to are him saying, you know, I might not ever feel the same again, and now we're hearing, you know, we'll probably see Judge again around August. That has to be concerning, no? Because if you get Judge back and he's not even 80 percent of Aaron Judge, I I don't like the Yankees' chances at all watching them play baseball this last month or so. You know, so I'm, I'm just trying to gauge uh, your concern level just because, uh, you know, I think it's crazy. We, act, we actually haven't even brought up uh, Aaron Judge to this point yet.
0: So uh, I so you're right. It definitely definitely concerning um, for sure. But I'll say this. I think that. The Yankees are like kind of the opposite of what we said about the Mets. They're going to be buyers. I don't think that's any uh, any sort of secret here um, for who, obviously, up for debate. But I think that you know maybe the this is like a the silver lining in all of this is sure might not get Judge back 100. percent, Might not you know maybe he comes back and just DHs the rest of the year. That's I think that could be very very plausible. Uh, but
1: well, plausible, that, but have you seen this Yankees? Uh outfield defense last couple games
0: well let me i'll get there i think maybe that just shifts their their approach to the deadline maybe they think all right if we're gonna get judge back and he's not we don't want to push him in the outfield at all you know not especially not immediately maybe that gives them more oomph to go after an ian happ who plays the outfielder maybe that gives them more uh, a push to go after you know blank outfielder that becomes available and you, you end up with another Harrison Bader who, you know, remember last year, kind of a shocking last minute move. Yankees pull the trigger, trade Montgomery for Ian, uh, for Harrison Bader last minute. And I, I, I challenge you to find the Yankee fan that would, would do a trade back. I challenge you. Well, well so, I, I
1: probably could have found you a ton, like the second that that game ended. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe a, a handful of just people that are just lost in the sauce, but, are you know, the, the anti-cashmaners out there, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I I think I'm a I'm I'm a big you know glass half full guy, and I think that I think th- this will. The Yankees are smart enough where, you know, they they've seen their guys come up and produce. Uh, they've they're watching their guys. You know, the guys that struggle and they're admitting to their struggles. You know, they're they're backing Josh Donaldson, but you know, you look up and Josh Donaldson's got uh, you know, he he hits home runs, I guess at the least. But I I don't think they're kind of sold in the fact that Donaldson is you know, gonna, gonna rebound and become, you know, MVP Donaldson. So, uh, you know, there was, there was a big, uh, big thing, I think in the, like a week ago or so where, uh, Boone and Josh Donaldson relate to the press conference. So they thought everyone's gonna, they were going to release him. And they said they were just quote unquote, having a talk, uh, sort of thing, you know, to me that, that, that tells me they, they gave him like a quota, like, you know, hit 200 by, you know, uh, by July 20, July 20th. And we won't get rid of you kind of thing is what I, what I surmise happened there. And I don't think they're going to die in that sword. Um, I really don't. And then the guys that are underperforming, you know, the Rizzo, Rizzo, uh, he's just another one of those guys that I think is just always going to figure it out. He's a little bit concerning that he's, you know, he's hitting 150 in his last week. Uh, When's the last time he uh, hit a home run? uh, It was was like May. It was like May. I think it was like May 20th or something like that. Uh, I heard that on the broadcast yesterday. Um, but again, you know, it doesn't. He doesn't worry me. I think partially he was kind of overperforming to begin the year, and I think the the true Rizzo is somewhere between the overperforming one uh, in the beginning of the year and the, the the now underperforming one here. So I think you know if he can kind of even himself out, become like you know if he's hitting two seventy and you know uh, at the end of the year, which he's always hovering around you know two sixty two eighty beginning of the year, he's hitting you know, he was at three hundred for a couple weeks there. So I don't know how realistic that was. Um, but look, as long as we have IKF in the lineup where we can win ballgames. So that's all I care about. Um, but it, look, like the, I mean, it, obviously joking there, but not joking. The fact that IKF, uh, Ryan sent this in, the, in a chat earlier today, was talking about some of IKF's ranks. Um, but he, he really is, since May 24th, in a minimum of 50 plate appearances. Listen to this. Of Yankees, IKF ranks first in average, first in on-base percentage, First in K percentage, first in runs, first in RBIs, first in stolen bases, second in slugging, second in OPS, and second in WRC plus for well over a month. So like, overhated. Whatever they've done, they told IKF or whatever adjustment they gave to IKF, it's working. And he's, you know, maybe he's, you know, the the undersung hero of this season, and I guess picking up some of the judge slack. Uh but so be it. He's been he's been an absolute gem. Uh, he's, he's, he's constantly said the right things. And, you know, we always ridicule guys for not being able to handle New York, uh, a la of the Sonny Grays, the Joey Gallows of the world, and no one's handled it better than IKF in a tougher position. You know, what's the top, the, what's the hardest position to play in, in New York baseball? I'd say Yankee shortstop.
1: Well, Dede's position. right? right? And, At that and, time. and, you know. Especially like coming right off of Derek Jeter, him having to be the shortstop. Do you remember the Boo Birds and the? Ugh.
0: Yeah, and but guess what? He he was he was another one that kind of responded well, and you know a lot of a lot of Yankee fans would beg for D.D. back still, even though I don't even know if he's in the MLB anymore. But you know, so you know, there's I think it's there's something to be said about guys that you know fail at first and then bounce back. And like I just said, he's first in, first or second in almost every offensive category in the last over a month. So, uh, I, you know, ICAf has been great. Uh, you know, I'd love to see him continue this for the whole season and kind of, you know, earn his, earn some respect among Yankee fans. I think he already has, especially, you know, definitely me, but, um, I think this is going to be a big trade deadline for the Yankees. I think they can be a real player for a really big splash move. I saw it and this wasn't a report. Uh, it was an article about, you know, let's say the, the Padres continue to underperform like the Mets and let's say that they go the Mets route of, all right, we don't, you know, we're not going to buy because we're we're just not going to do anything when that crazy division over there, uh, you know, what if they decide to 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 flip a Soto? Could the Yankees be in play for Soto this time? They were in play for him, uh, when they traded him when the the talks were, uh, when they what was it last season or two seasons ago when they traded him last season, right?
1: Yeah, that's it. Doesn't feel like he was on the Nationals last season.
0: Yeah, so he could. I mean. You know, that's, that's obviously a, a, a huge swing there, but you know, I think the, I don't know, I don't ever put anything off limits with the Yankees because the, unlike the Mets where I guess where the Yankees differ is the Yankees do still do still, and always will have the a big farm system. They, I mean, Dominguez is probably, if not one of the more valuable chips in all of baseball, uh, they could always, you know, cash that chip in for lack of a better term, um, But, you know, I think the Yankees are going to be in play for, you know, any big name that becomes available, especially if they're an outfielder. uh, They're going to be uh, they're going to be in play for it. And I'll uh, I'll get out. We posted a um, your Mets wish list. I'll get out my the Yankee wish list at some point this week. Uh, I'll say this. Jack Flaherty's on there. And I said Jack Flaherty before Jack Flaherty went and shoved against the Yankees. So just wanted to just wanted to put that out there so, so um
1: from from a free agency standpoint for the yankees here what what's really the addition that they need what's the position that really vaults them up to a new level what's the biggest need um i, I guess or are, are we just looking at you know like a like a real corner outfielder for the yankees
0: uh, i'd say i'd say yes because i think that uh Again, uh, this is all all intertwined with you know whatever judge whatever judge's amount judge's injury amounts to. But like just just off the top of my head, looking at like the White Sox, right? Like not you know a guy like Luis Robert, right? Who's young but is an absolute slugger. He's got twenty five home runs. He's been two seventy. Uh, even even like a you know, imagine they got like a Tim Anderson or like a you know ben obviously ben underperforming but could they get a cheap ben deal back here somehow uh they have what the yankees do have too is they have the the prospects and they have the a big contract in donaldson that can offset any sort of you know bad contract that they they can take in too uh which is good and i think that there's a lot of guys out there that uh you know looking at just look at some of the teams the again the cubs uh ian Happ was one name uh the the cardinals uh, the Rockies have a couple big names there uh you know there there's there's some bad teams that are going to start selling off pieces that i i really think the Yankees will will definitely be involved in so i say my answer to that would be yeah definitely some sort of some sort of corner outfield or my only other answer would be you know if dj if they don't believe in dj LeMahieu bounce back could they go the route of you know a third baseman kind of like a true third baseman that isn't hitting 120 you know, isn't hitting under two hundred? Sure.
1: Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's as an overview of everything we just talked about with both of these teams. Let's propose a Met Yankee trade. Now, this won't. This wouldn't be something that like we're asking for or rooting for to happen, but just to kind of outline you know the needs of each team and the players in which you know you'd feel comfortable dealing or something like that. Well, like, what what do we think with the Yankees in terms of this, like a Fam or a Marte? I know you'd like a left-handed hitter, but.
0: Um well I would definitely I w- Fam is on
1: a is on a tear.
0: I would definitely take Tommy Fam or Starling Marte. Um and they're both I mean, Marte's obviously struggling this year, but uh he's he doesn't have that crazy of a contract. He signed through twenty twenty six, but it's nothing nothing too big. But you know, again, the Donaldson contract, we could just offset the money with that. So that it would be other than that, it would just be a matter of parsing through Yankee prospects to see what clicks there. Um, I believe Tommy Pham is on a one-year deal. Correct. Um, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. But Tommy Pham's been hot. If I was the Mets, yeah, he's on a one-year, six million dollar deal. So mm-hmm. he, Tommy Pham would be great for the Yankees. I, again, obviously not a not a lefty. You'd like a lefty in Yankee Stadium, but um, he to, Tommy Pham's hitting 287 and playing could play left field for the Yankees any day of the week for me. So uh, if you know if you can get a would the Mets and Yankees do a Tommy Pham for, you know, a, uh, I don't know, a.
1: Well, you're looking to uh, offload the Donaldson contract, whichever way you can. Well, you wouldn't even need Donaldson for
0: Pham because he doesn't even make that much money. The Yankees could take in a $6 million contract for, right. you know, without without having to give up any money, is what I'm saying. You could do a one for one.
1: So, what what is the type of player? that the Yankees would actually that would want or need that you would be able to offload Josh Donaldson.
0: Well, I think I think that that would be more so like a Marte or even like if you really want to get big, if the Yankees wanted to get in like the Scherzer of it all, if they're going for like a huge contract like that, I think that's where the where any sort of Donaldson deal will get done. But um I you know, I think the Yankees definitely have uh, the Yankees definitely have a lot of pitching prospects. Uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of things line up with the Tommy Pham deal for the Yankees. I, wouldn't, I would not hate that whatsoever, and I think that it would behoove the Mets to do so because Tommy Pham's value is not going to get higher than it is right now. Agree or disagree?
1: Oh, totally agree. Um, so so the, I guess the last Yankee note that we really wanted to hit on, and I actually don't know the exact date, so this is just me asking you a legitimate question. Uh, Rodon. When does Rodon take the bump?
0: He's pitching uh, in one of the Cubs games. Is going to be his next start. He he just made his last. Uh, he pitched for the Hudson Valley Renegades, uh, I believe. Uh, maybe three or four days ago, and his next start will be uh, one of those
1: Cubs games. They said. I think it was like the seventh or the eighth or something like that. I feel like that this is like a little slept on to like bring in an ace who's going to be your two. Yeah. Um, you know, especially with how Severino's pitched, and um, I don't. You're you couldn't be and – uh,
0: we had not even get to this, but Nestor Cortez started throwing off a mound as well. And he seems to think that he can be back, you know, right after the all-star break as well. So you're going to be looking at a Yankee rotation of Cole, Rodon, uh, Net, you know, this is what I'm saying. They might, they might just bump Severino to the bullpen and say they're going to go Cole, Rodon, uh, Nestor, um, Clark Schmidt, who's definitely earned it. And then some mix of. Could be Domingo, could be Severino, could go six-man rotation. And the Yankees pitching, who, again, couldn't be the least of their problems this year, even though they sign, they make a huge splash in free agency, sign a huge free agent, don't get any contribution from him, now is getting the addition of Carlos Rodon. So I don't think for a second, uh, you know, maybe the Yankees look to add another, like, bullpen weapon. Uh, but, again, if Carlos Rodon's back and healthy and, and he's even – you know, if he's even seventy-five percent of whatever Carlos Rodon was last year, you know, going forward, that's a home run. And you know, the way the Yankees think about things, that's an addition at the deadline to them. You know, so
1: yeah. Well, this is going to be a huge stretch, a huge second half for the Yankees. I I would like to say the same about the Mets. I mean, you know me; I'm realistic. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump up and down over uh, over three wins. But you're coming off of a month where you didn't even win a series. Uh, I think end of the day for me, I, I, I kind of feel like we're back in the Wilpon era. But I, you know, I want meaningful games in September. You know, let's let's start to play a little bit of winning baseball. Because I mean, to sweep a se- to win a series was a uh, it was foreign just moments ago. Yeah,
0: it, uh, yeah, three game winning streak was like a, a dream you know, a month ago. So yeah, you're right. There, it's a tough spot for the Mets. But uh, you know, definitely, uh, I think you're you're playing probably your most meaningful baseball. Right now, honestly, this is this is these are the meaningful games now. So um, anything else you wanted to add?
1: Uh, No, just that I, I hope there's good baseball for us to talk about uh, on this silly little podcast uh, during the dog days of baseball. I'd like to get Matt DeSanto back on here. I feel like that's electric when we have the uh, the threesome in here.
0: Yeah, we, we, we miss Matt. He's actually uh, out of the state. I'm not going to reveal his location, but he's out of the state until uh, what, what next you mean you're week. You're not going to reveal What is to the president? You can uh, you can do you can do your own research on that, but uh, down south somewhere we'll say. But, uh, anything else you wanted to add before we get out of here?
1: Um, Shohei Otani to the Mets.
0: LGM. All right. Thanks for listening. As always, uh, appreciate all the uh, Instagram interaction stuff. Uh, gonna be posting some fun stuff soon. to Come uh, and peace out. Thanks everyone.